Good morning. If you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here. My name is Connor Hendricks. I'm usually downstairs during the main service, so you don't usually see me. And then I'm back here at night where I take all the chairs, put them to the side of the room, make jails on the corners, and then we all shoot each other with Nerf guns and get to have a little bit of um, fellowship and, and message with the youth as well, which is really fun. But so um, for my message today, I want to start with a couple of warm-up questions. So my first warm-up question is, who brought you to Jesus and why do you think they did it? And I want you to take a second, think about it, and then for 15 seconds, tell your neighbor. So go. Okay, okay, coming back together. Who is bold enough to share who brought them to Jesus, who introduced them to the Lord, and why they think they did it? Can I see some hands? I'm very interactive with the youth, so you guys are going to get a little taste of that this morning. Hands, anybody who is willing? Melanie, thank you, Mel. Your mom, why do you think she did it? Because they forced you to go to church, that's why they did it? That was their motivation? They wanted the best for you? Okay, okay, I saw another hand over here. Neil? Yeah, okay. Kristen, yeah, let's give it up for Kristen. Nice job. And why do you think that Kristen did it? She wouldn't marry you otherwise. Okay. That is solid. Solid. Anybody else? Answers? One more. One more. We got it. Come on. Who's bold? Builds faith. Lauren, what do you got? Your parents? It's boring? That's not boring. Parents, it's really exciting if they follow the Lord, right? Okay. All right. Okay. Warm-up question number two. So let's say that you care about people as some of these people maybe did, how do you go about trying to change their lives? Think about it, and I will give further, better instructions this time. Think about it for five seconds, and then share with that same partner again, and go. Okay, and then coming back together again, we'll do just two, we'll do two people, two new people this time to answer this question. What did you say to your partner? You care about people. How are you going to go about trying to change their lives? Anybody? You inspire them with your example. That's a really good way. Yep, that's awesome. Okay. Okay, pray for them. Like you're doing some work, but you're, you're enlisting the help of the Lord at the same time. That's a very good answer. Okay. Okay, thank you guys for doing the world questions. These are things that I have thought about a ton in my life because right after high school, I spent... Um, five years with an organization called Youth with a Mission. And Youth with a Mission is really about evangelism. They want you to go learn about God, and they want you to be able to share with people about God. Um, so you come, and you do a three-month school, and you learn as much as you can about the Lord. You learn about his character and nature. You learn about biblical things. You learn... Um, like what it means to be forgiven. You learn like what Jesus actually did for you on the cross, the grace of the Lord, and what that means in your life. And then you go on an outreach to go and share it. Uh, right before YWAM, though, I was coming back to the Lord after walking away from him in my teenage years. I was a rebellious little snot. Um, and so I was not very confident on how I could change other people's lives by telling them, 
about the Lord. It was difficult for me because there was all these other people in the organization that were these spiritual giants. They were like, I will go tell anybody right now in Waikiki about Jesus. You just drop me off. I got it. And I was like, whoa, I'm super nervous about that because, because I was this big old wreck like five minutes ago. How am I, who am I to go and just be like, this is what you need to do now, even though I'm still like just kind of a puddle of a mess of a person, but I've been forgiven by the Lord. I had that. And I was like, well, how do I then share with people? And so I had to think a lot about what I did and what led me to being saved. So I want to tell you guys a story about this guy in my youth group. His name was Chris. Chris was this awesome guy. His parents were volunteers at the youth group. Um, he had grown up in the church. Um, he had three siblings in the youth group as well. And he was just the nicest guy in the world. He was super athletic. He was uh, the guy who was just like, he would read his Bible every single morning. So he's a little bit dorky too. Yeah, so, you know, he, he's like that guy, he's, he's got all like the memory verses and stuff highlighted, and he's done all the church camps growing up as a kid, and I was like, okay, yeah, you're cool, it's, it's, it's cool, but you're not like as cool as me, because I thought I was super cool when I was a rebellious little snot in high school. So I would go to youth group because my mom forced me to go to youth group, which none of the kids at our youth group are forced to go, <laughs> right, Mel? <laughs> yeah. They're not forced to go, but I was forced to go, and this guy, Chris, was there. He was super sincere. There's nothing he wouldn't do for anyone. He was just so kind and welcoming. And so I would go to youth group, and the way you really get involved with youth is going to all of the extra things, too. So you can go, and you can show up and sit in the back, especially if you go to a big church like I did, and you can never talk to anybody. It's great if you don't want to be there. Um, but this guy, he would come up and he'd be like, hey, we're doing this thing at my house because his parents were youth leaders. You should come. And a lot of times I was like, no, that doesn't really sound like something that's, you know, in my category of cool things to do. Um, but he's, he would continually approach me. He, and he knew what I was like. After I was going to youth group for like a year or so, they all were like, oh, okay, Connor's up to no good when he's not here. But he would never cease to invite me to things. So eventually I started coming, mostly because they had pizza. And so we have pizza tonight, by the way. <laughs> so if you're inviting a youth to come tonight, we do have pizza. Um, and so I would go to these events, I would eat my pizza, and I would sit around like a bonfire. I grew up in Minnesota, um, and that's kind of what you do. Um, and they would just love on me. They would just be there for me. They would talk to me as though I was good enough to be there. Um, Chris would come up to me and tell me all the time how much God loved me and how good God was. And I would pepper him as a good non-Christian at the time with all of these questions about God's goodness. Has anybody ever done that before they were a Christian? Nobody wants to admit, thank you for admitting it. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh, but what about this? How is God good in this situation? And Chris had no idea what to do with me because he was like, I, uh, I don't know. Well, this is what the Bible says, and he would just keep trying. And it wasn't the fact that he couldn't answer my questions. That wasn't actually the issue for me. It was the fact that he kept trying. I was like, whoa, like you will not give up on this, even though you don't have all the answers, and you know I'm up to no good. You are still inviting me to be alongside of you. 
he would go on walks. I would smoke cigarettes behind the church after youth group, and he would go on walks with me and stuff and just be there with me. And I felt so loved and accepted in this invitational kind of way that I was like, okay, maybe something actually is going on here. I thought to myself, if Chris was any kind of representation of what Jesus was like, then maybe I'd be into this whole Jesus thing. Maybe I would like to come back to who I'd been raised to know, but I didn't really feel like I knew this Jesus, because this is what Chris is telling me about all the time. Eventually, it led to me encountering God on our youth group missions trip, and it began my journey back to the Lord, and Chris was right there praying for me as I decided to come back to the Lord. Uh, so I've got a verse about this. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Chris was bold because he knew God. Chris had tasted and seen, and he wanted to share that with other people. At 16 years old, he was fully aware that, like, this is the answer. I've got it. And I want other people to have it. So he didn't care what I thought. I would make fun of him all the time. And he had this self-deprecating humor. He's like, yeah, I know. Like, I love God so much. <laughs> like, he's just, he would make fun of himself because he was such a dork for Jesus. But, like, it was... He knew that he was right. He didn't care what anybody thought of him. He didn't have any fear because he knew like, that the Lord was good. He had tasted and seen. All he wanted was for other people to have that as well. Um, here's what Jesus said when he invited people to himself. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This is what Jesus is like when he invites us to himself. And so, because I'm a youth pastor, I'm going to give you a demonstration of this, because this is what we do at youth group. So I'm going to invite my assistant Joe to come up here today. So give it up for Joe, yep. So this is what I do at youth group. This is what I do at youth group to demonstrate Jesus. So if I ever really want to make a point, I just grab whatever thing seems to be handy and try and act it out. So when Jesus invites us to take his yoke upon you, so Joe will be Jesus, obviously he's the more holy of the two of us. So he's got his yoke here. And I don't know if you know what a yoke is, so this is why I do these demonstrations. It, it's what binds two ox together when they're going to do work together. And so Jesus says, come to me. I'm going to do all the heavy lifting for you. We're going to do this together, and this is going to be how we walk life out. Thank you, Joe. Let's give it up for Joe again. <laughs> that is the invitation of Jesus and that was kind of the invitation, what Chris was doing with me. He's like, I'll walk with you as you go smoke your cigarettes behind the church building. I'm not sure what my parents are going to think about it, but like, I've invited you to the Lord, and I'm in this with you. Like, we are going to get you because Jesus loves you. And he was just such a dork. I loved him so much. He has no idea I'm talking about this. Um, <laughs> but he knew that Jesus was like this, and he wanted me to have this too. So in the course of my school with YWAM, I became to taste and see that the Lord was good. 
uh, I was really, like, I was a mess the entire time I did the school because we would come and we would go to lecture and we would learn things about Jesus and I would hear these things about Jesus and I would just like melt into a puddle on the floor weeping every single week, which is not the coolest thing to do in the world when you are 18 years old. And like you thought you were cool before that. You know, I like had my hat on and I still like had my style from like my high school days or whatever. And I'd walk in there. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to learn about the Lord today. Give my life to Jesus. What? And then like I would hear this truth and I would just be like, is that really true? He loves me that much? Every single week. You know who never cries? Everyone never cries in relationship week. We talk about holy relationships and what it's like, what God's plan for marriage is. And I'm like, that's so Nobody else is crying. People cry during forgiveness week, but nobody cries during relationship week. But I cried through it all because I was like, this is how beautiful Jesus is. And so they send you up to go on outreach. And I was getting ready. You know, you make all your notes, like the ones I have here today. And I was like, this isn't right, though. Like, I'm just kind of teaching them something out of the Bible. So I remember my first day speaking when I was on outreach. We were in Cambodia, and there was like, a ton of youth, like a ton of youth that they had packed into this room. And I had all my notes. I don't even remember what I was going to teach on, but I was like going to go through all this scripture. I was like, these people need to know the, the word of God. And I was like, this is so weird. So I get two t- sentences through my teaching. I was like, no, I just need to tell him, them what he's like, that they should just come and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. So I throw my teaching aside. My outreach leaders look terrified. They're like, what is he doing? He's going AWOL. There's no way they can like, get a hold of me now. I just throw everything to the side, and I'm like, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Let me tell you how good he's been in my life. This is what I was, and this is what he showed me he's like, and I was so into it. I was absolutely loving it and and it went really well but it was because I was just like why do I have to try and think of all of these fancy things to do I don't I just got to tell them what he's like because I have tasted and seen what the Lord is like so after I did my school in YWAM I went invitation crazy I was like oh my gosh I have found the Lord Every other person I know needs to experience the Lord. So the first thing I knew is like, well, I'd done the YWAM school. And so, of course, I'm just going to invite everybody I know to do it. I invited like three or four, ended up being like seven or eight people from my youth group. And they did DTSs, which is the discipleship training school with YWAM. They all like came and did it. Steven is one of those. He's the guy we're going to go see in the Philippines as a youth, uh, as a, um, as a youth group. He went and never came back. He is from Minnesota, and he went on his outreach, and for 10 years he has been there now because he was so in love with, with the Lord. So he runs the youth ministries and, and, and everything there, and so that's who we are going to go as a team and work with, so it's super cool. But I was just like, you guys got to get here. And it wasn't just YWAM. I was like, you guys need to get to a place where you can experience Jesus. You need to get to that place because if I can drag you there, the Lord is going to take care of the rest. If I can convince you of just that bit, everything else is going to be fine because I have tasted and seen and I know that the Lord is good. So I went invitation crazy, but I really learned the power of invitation um, with a girl that I met at Kona. So I went, I was a part of YWAM, and I decided, okay, I want even more of Jesus. So instead of just being here in Honolulu, they also have schools of worship over on the big island. 
And so I went over to the Big Island. I was like, I just want to worship the Lord for three months because I was so obsessed with Jesus at the time. And I had a, an amazing time. But I met this girl over there. Um, her classroom for her school was right next to where all of the School of Worship boys were staying. And so um, we got to know everybody in that school quite a bit. And I had met this girl. And she was a new student there. She, had, uh, she was interested in this photography and stuff. And they have photography-focused schools over there. And she's doing this. She had found out about it online. And getting to know her more, I find out she has just this gnarly past. Like she got married at 18, divorced at 21, and had all of these kind of traumatic things happen to her in the meantime. And so like I had been through some tough stuff too, not nearly as tough as her, but I knew that what this was going to take was people walking through it with her. But unfortunately, her staff over there at the time, they didn't have the time because it's a kind of a big machine of a place over there. They didn't have the time to to sit with her and pour into her. And when the going gets tough, because it does when you come to the Lord, you get to that point where you're like, oh man, like I really have to give it all to the Lord. And you have nothing left. In that moment, people need to be there with you to kind of walk that through. And she didn't, wasn't able to have that. And so she kind of faltered and started to turn back to her old habits. And it ended up in her not graduating. So she didn't end up being able to complete the school. She didn't get to go on the outreach or whatever. And I was really devastated because I had seen that she had the potential to be an incredibly powerful person and that she really did want the Lord in her life. She just didn't know how to totally walk it out. So I was coming back over to Honolulu to be on staff, to take people on outreaches to the nations, to tell people about Jesus. And I was like, come over here. Try this again. You can do this. I know that you can do this. Come over here with us. We'll go on outreach. I'm going to actually be one of your outreach leaders if you come over here. And we're going to sort this out. And this turned out to be an incredibly powerful thing. Because an invitation is not like a notification. So a notification is like if I was to tell all of you right now that, hey, at the convention center, there is going to be this crazy ministry thing next weekend. You should go. You have been notified. You've not been invited. But some of you would go. Some of you would go because you are all, you know, titans of the faith. You're all very strong and powerful and, you know, have good intentions all the time. So you guys would probably go. But for people who aren't sure, they're probably not going to go about this because it isn't enough for me to just notify you about something. An invitation is personal and it creates a bond. It's like an outstretched hand. An invitation says, what I'm offering you has value for you specifically. I believe that you have what it takes, and I'll do it with you. So that's what an invitation is. When you invite somebody into something, I'm going to say it one more time, what I'm offering has value for you. So I believe that what I've got is going to enrich your life in some way. I believe that you have what it takes to accept it. That's the faith building part right there. Because I'm saying that I believe in you enough to have you accept it. And I'll do it with you. When Jesus invited Peter to walk out on the water, his hand was there. And Peter ended up needing it. But Peter kind of knew that that was going to be okay, even though he faltered and he fell in the waves. Jesus' outstretched hand was there, but he knew that that invitation was strong. 
that somebody's going to do this with him. So uh, this girl came. She came to Honolulu. She did this school. She got to that tough part, and we were able to go through it with her to get her onto the other side. And then we went on outreach, and I have never seen so many miracles in my life. It was unbelievable. She would go and share about her traumatic experience, and she would, she like would talk to a room of like a hundred girls, and the Holy Spirit would just hit the room. Just hit the room, and all of these girls would be ministered to. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just like, boom, freedom, because she had made it past. She had walked through, and then she would invite them up for prayer, and they were like, you're going to do this with me. They believed her because of that invitation. Um, so needless to say, and she's doing great now. So that was a really wonderful story. Let's look at the biblical basis for this. So we're going to go to Matthew 4, which I am calling the original Jesus invite. Um, and so the context for this verse is that Jesus has just been baptized, and he's in preparation for his ministry. He goes in, so he's been baptized, so dunked, solid, he's good to go. Uh, he goes into the wilderness, he's fasting and praying, praying, gearing up for ministry. He deals with the devil, the devil comes to try and tempt him, he's like, no, here's all the scripture that says, why not, go away. Devil goes away, good things, and then the next thing he does to start his journey of ministry is invite people. So it says uh, in Matthew 4.18, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net in the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them and said, Come, Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. Then he goes on to invite the rest of the disciples to come and do ministry with them. And something that I absolutely love about scripture, Peter is actually my favorite scriptural hero, if you were to give me a Bible hero, um, is that he's so messed up all the time and makes bad decisions constantly, gets rebuked by the Lord, and ends up still making it ends up still walking on water, denies Jesus, ends up still being a pillar of the church. I love that because it shows that Jesus invited these ragtag group of people. They were young dudes. Scholars think that most of them were under the age of 30 years old because Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. They were probably so weird. Half of them were teenagers. Some of them probably had mullets, which is unruly, as we know. And what he did is he said, let me teach you, come do life with me. I'm going to invite you, come, let's do something together. And that was how he decided, God decided to do ministry. I thought that was the most beautiful thing in the world. So I used to love telling people stuff. I used to love to notify people. If I see something awesome, I still love to notify people. I'm, a, I'm quite chatty, you can ask Sarah. Um, I love to tell people if I see something awesome and I think they should do it. Pickleball is one of those things. If you know me at all, you know that I've told you a little bit about pickleball because I love to notify people about the things in life that I love to do. But with ministry opportunities, I used to tell people, hey, there's this great thing over here. You should get involved. You should do that because I see, you know, they've got some ability. They could do some ministry. They should go and try it. 
Uh, but that ended up not working a lot of the time, and so I had to change tactics. And I felt like the Lord was showing me that I had to put skin in the game and do it with them, involving, invoking the power of faith, then, that comes with the invitation. So one of these most recent examples, I wanted to give a recent one to show that this still happens to me all the time where people are like, I tell them about something, they're like, that sounds great, nothing happens. <laughs> and then I have to invite, and then things become a lot richer. So for this Philippines team that we're about to take, there I think is one person, I notified all of the youth that would be eligible to go on this missions trip. I notified them all. I was like, guys, there's this amazing opportunity. We're going to go to the Philippines. We're going to tell people about Jesus. I've already been there. I know how awesome it's going to be. Let's do it. So I just notified them. I told them all, hey, here's when you got to sign up. Please feel free to sign up whenever. Because I was like, I'm going to get them all signed up like this. It'll be easy. This is the coolest thing happening. Um, and nobody signed up. Maybe Melanie did. Melanie might be the only one who signed up initially. So Melanie's one of the strong ones, right? So I think Melanie signed up initially, and then I was like, I was like, Sarah, we're going to have at least 10 going on this trip. It's going to be awesome. And nobody else signed up. I was like, what's going on? Another week passes. I think Jordan signs up. Jordan hung. And I was like, okay, okay, we've got two now. Where are all of the other youth that I thought were going to sign up for this thing? And so then all, I realized all I had to do was talk to them. I had notified them about all of this thing. So I sat them down. I was like, what is the deal, guys? I've told you about this for two and a half years. For two and a half years, I've told them about this because it kept getting canceled because of COVID. So I'm like, it's finally happening. Of course, you're going to be as excited as I am about it. Nope. <laughs> so I sit them down, sometimes in groups, sometimes one-on-one. I was like, what? like what's going on? And they'd be like, well, here's kind of like a hang-up I have with this. And here's kind of like this thing. I was like, no, like this is going to be fine. I know that you have what it takes to do this. You have what it takes to do this. And I'm going to do it with you. And that, they're like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> sounds good. And then it kind of snowballed a little bit. And we ended up taking two more of the Schroders that we didn't know were going to be able to come in the first place. And it's because of this invitational, I'm going to do this with you, attitude. Another example uh, that's happened, this also happened with Kona Commission Camp, by the way. I invited a bunch of the kids to go to us a couple years ago to the camp, and then we had some sign up. And I was like, okay, now i got to hunt all of the kids down and their parents. Can you just raise your hand if you're a parent in this room and I have hunted you down before? Yeah, there, there's some. Yeah, there's another one. <laughs> I have, you got to hunt people down because you know what you have has value. So if you know you have something that has value, you got to hunt people down to get them to do it. And you got to extend the invitation to do it with them. Um, and then another story recently that I've had is that, uh, for those of you that don't know, I used to be a case manager for homeless youth um, at a place called Rise Residential Youth Services and Empowerment. And I was like, this is the best place ever to do ministry. This is awesome. Because they just are looking for things to do. They're looking for ways for people to pour into the youth so that they can like be um, socialized and stuff like that. It's like, what, a better, what, what better place is there to go and pour into people's lives who don't know Jesus than an open invitation of, like, please pour into these kids' lives. So I would tell people about it all the time. Elise is one of the faithful ones that actually just did it. But I would tell these other people about it. Um, my friend Hunter, he's a pastor at another church, um, and then another guy, his name is Derry. 
And I was like, hey, you guys should totally do this. And I kept hounding them about it. I was like, hey, this is the best ministry ever. This is where it is. And then nothing would happen. And then finally, I was like, I'm going to sit down with them because I care so much about this. And I'm going to invite them to do it with me. And so I was like, okay, i got to clear my schedule now because I, I didn't want to add anything else into my schedule. And that's part of the problem, right, is that we don't want to add anything else into our schedules when we have to invite people places. So I didn't want to add anything else into my schedule. That was, that's my fault. And I was like, okay, let's go this day, this time. I will set up this stuff. You're going to love it. And they're like, okay, I'll go then. So they decided to go. And then now recently, it has been going incredibly well. We go every other Thursday morning. We play basketball and pickleball because pickleball is the best. Obviously, it's a superior support sport. Um, and, and they have a great time. We get to pray for the youth every time we go. They have been invited to um, come to church things. There are some that are considering coming to the Nerf night tonight. Um, and it's just this great space to do ministry. But it didn't matter until I extended an invitation. So if I was to sum up my sermon into one phrase, it would be that invitational equals fruitful. You will be fruitful probably to the degree that you are invitational. If you can invite people into your lives, you can build that faith just a little bit into them, and they are able to go so much further than if you had just notified them about something. And so for you guys, there's a million ways that you can invite people into your lives into your living rooms, into your communities, into your family, into your ministry. And I think that you will be shocked at the number of people that accept when you invite them in. I am continually blown away by it. I'm blown away by the difference between the notification and the invitation. Like I have almost no results in the notification side of things. But if I go up to somebody and I say, this is going to be great for you. You should do it. Let's do this. People, the, the rate is so high that people accept an invitation because of that faith. So one last time, what I'm offering, this is what an invitation means. What I'm offering has value for you. I believe that you have what it takes and I'll do it with you. That's what you're implying to people when you invite them into something. So let's make it applicable right now. We're going to do a quick 15 seconds of reflection about when the last time you made an invitation is because it's a good metric in how you're staying in the game if you're finishing well. Jordan's going to talk more about this in his next sermon series. So, well, reflect maybe later, but 15 seconds of silence. And I want you guys to pray if the Lord has someone for you to invite in some capacity in your life right now. So you're going to take 15 seconds to pray about it, and then you're going to take the other 15 seconds and pull out your phone if you haven't already, and you know you're secretly watching like a game on YouTube. Like I've seen it happen. You know, like people got their phones down there. Uh, but you're going to take 15 seconds to pray, and then 15 seconds with your phone to actually send them a text and invite them. So 30 seconds starts now. Okay, that's 15 seconds. Pull out your phones if you felt like the Lord told you to invite somebody to something.
shoot them a text. And while you shoot them a text, um, I am going to invite Karen, I believe, up to share some prophetic art. It's Erica? Okay, Erica, come on up. You want me to hold it? Uh, sure. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thanks for all your support of the art ministry. We're up here praying in the Holy Spirit and trying to bring a message to you guys every week. Um, this one was done primarily over Easter, and there's two messages associated with it. Um, the first was the overarching message of the piece itself, which is one of welcoming and homecoming, um, one of access. Um, often we hear things like, the road is straight and narrow, many will fall away. And to me, sometimes that says, why try? It's almost impossible. But the truth that I wanted to bring out with the painting was, you know, God is good, God is gracious, God is merciful, and um, God is the key. Jesus is the key. You know, he made a way for us to live in the kingdom every day and to access eternal life. And so that's the overarching message. The symbology of the keyhole is kind of obvious, right? God is, Jesus is the key, key to eternity. Um, supposed to look kind of like stained glass and and then outside that is kind of life lived without Christ so it's it's overarching encouragement for the church um, the shapes inside the keyhole are reminiscent of it but it's supposed to indicate kind of a simplistic icon of a savior and also sort of like a radio tower like transmitting and receiving just as God does with us and the Holy Spirit does so that was the overarching message um, the the second message came in the process of painting it and I think it's really powerful, and some of you could use hearing it, um, which is why I'm saying it. So in the middle of painting this, I looked at it at the middle of Easter service with tons of people here, and I just looked at it and I said, this is the ugliest thing I have ever painted. And I, and I told Karen that, and I was like, of course I'm doing it now. And, um, and I just felt this prompting from the Holy Spirit. He said, don't be afraid to be ugly. It's like, okay, thank you, God. I'm going to just work through the ugly. And, and at the end of service, I, I wasn't quite done, and I wasn't quite sure it spoke to anyone. Um, no one came and talked to me that day. They didn't mention anything up front, nothing like that. Um, but the next day, my 70-year-old neighbor, who actually turned 70 on Easter and came to our church for the first time, just asked me to come, came and got prayer from some of you too. He called me, and he said, Erica, I dreamt about your painting all night long. And I woke up smiling multiple times, and I just feel like this huge spiritual weight has been lifted. Um, and I just wanted to let you know. So my encouragement to you guys is that, um, you know, just be faithful and give it your best try. And you don't know what fruit is being sown. You know, that's, God's in charge of that. Um, but it's awesome when you do get to hear about it. Right? So bless you. Thank you. Thank you.